welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hi, everybody. My name's Micah. Nice to meet you. Hi. How you doing? I, all I can see is your silhouette. I don't know who that is. But... Um, so, um, I was going to say something, and now I don't remember what it was. Why don't you open your Bibles to Exodus 20? <laughs> There's a great transition for you. Exodus 20. Oh, I remember. How many of you, how many of you woke up early this morning? Anybody? Yep, I was at the joke joint at like 5.45. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's get some church on. Nobody was here for like the next two hours. So um, I helped open up the Brugger's Bagels on Grand. That was fun. Um, so Exodus 20. Uh, actually, before we do Exodus 20, I want to say just one thing about St. James. And uh, we, are, uh, we have two events that are planned. They're the same event. Last week, I, I used the language of open house. And I want to just say for the record, it's not an open house. So I apologize for saying that. Um, if you come like at, you know, some point after three on Sunday or six thirty on Wednesday, you'll come in the middle of what we've got planned. And so it's sort of a progression. So if you can be there uh, when it starts, that's going to benefit you. Uh, what we want to do is a little, uh, we'll do some hors d'oeuvres and then we'll do a tour of the building. And then, uh, we want to just cast a vision for what we imagine in this new space as well as, and wanting to be just totally straightforward and honest, uh, we want to talk about what the cost that we anticipate this transition will be. So we don't want anyone to feel bait and switched, like, hey, we're going to give you, you know, some wine and drinks and cheese and then sort of like pull a fast one. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to tell you how much we think it's going to cost, and we're going to ask you to give uh, to this transition as a community. So know that that's coming Sunday, 3 o'clock, uh, Wednesday, 6.30. There is no child care provided so if that is applicable to you, see if you can't swap with the family. You watch some kids, they watch the others, switch, switch. Or you could just uh, send one of you to one and the other to the other. And then the other option is just leave the kids home and see what happens. <laughs> but I didn't tell you that. So Exodus 20. Last week we looked at Exodus 14. And we, we explored some of these ideas about God as, as, as paradox. The p- people of Israel are led by a pillar of cloud, which is paradoxical uh, to be sure. And um, what does it mean that God tells the Israelites to be still, but then to move? And talked about this difference between doing and being and uh, what that looks like. And so today, we're going to look at Exodus 20, where this is where the Israelites have just received the Ten Commandments. If you remember this story, they've gone up, Moses is up on Sinai, and he gets some further instructions for the Israelites. That's where we're going to pick up the story. I want to show you a map, just so you have an idea as to kind of like where things are and what we're talking about. I love maps, and so... Somebody, Anthony right here brought his laser pointer because my children, I've told you this, when you do this with the dog, they think it's hilariously funny and the dog chases the laser pointer around. Well, the problem is when you show up to church and you need your laser pointer, guess what? It's not there, Mike. It's not there. Somebody's taking it. Your kids. So thank you, Anthony. Um, Okay, friends, here we go. So the Exodus journey is a bit... um, uh, there's, a, there's a number of different theories as to like exactly the route that the Israelites took. So know that it's not ironclad. This green line here is representative of the most common 
route for the wilderness experience of the Israelites. So they come out of Egypt over here. This is the Nile. Some people believe that this crossing of the sea was here, others here. I tend to believe uh, just because Migdal is um, where Exodus 14, camp between Migdal and the sea. Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago. That, based on archaeology, we kind of know that that's down here. So uh, the Israelites cross the Red Sea here. There, Jen is going to talk about this next week. This is the, the, the wells at Marah that are bitter, that then become sweet. And then for us, they wander in the, in the wilderness on their way to Sinai, which is right over here, to, to Mount Sinai. This is also known as Chorev. And if you remember, this is where the journey began for Moses. So the burning bush incident happened right over here. Uh, this is modern day like Saudi Arabia. They come up this way to Kadesh Barnea, and if you know the story, they're told to go into the promised land at the beginning of the book of Numbers. Ten of the spies say yes, and two of the spies say no, or uh, ten of the spies say no, and two of the spies say yes, Joshua and Caleb. And so they retreat, and they wander for 40 years in the wilderness before they actually go into the promised land in the book of Joshua, all right? So that's just kind of an update as to, so we're basically right here. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've come from Egypt. There you have it. Thank you, Anthony. Here's your laser pointer back. Yep, appreciate it. So, Exodus 20, stand if you can. We will read God's word. Starting in verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God Uh, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods alongside of me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And this is my favorite part. Do not go up on the altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. (laughs) Come on, guys, that's funny. Sheepers, creepers. So that's awesome. Um, Let's pray. God, as we look at this story and this scripture and open ourselves up to you this morning as a community. It's my prayer, as always, that you would uh, find us where we are, invite us one step closer, one step further, one step deeper, that we would have the courage, the self-awareness, uh, all that's needed to make that step as, as small or as large as it may be. And so we breathe you in, and we breathe out all the things that are not of you, and we trust that you are good, that you are a God who loves us, uh, who reveals yourself to us in Jesus, who speaks to us through these scriptures and who is uh, interested in relationship with us. And so here we are. We pray these things in your name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Okay. Today, here's what I want to do. I would like to talk to you about worship in general. But I want to, I can't pass up verses 18 because it is just kind of juicy. So we're going to start there and then we're going to make our way to, to worship. So verse 18 
If you unpack it a little bit and you were, and by the way, anybody can do this, biblos.com, there's an interlinear, so you can actually see for yourself what the Hebrew word is and what the transliteration is. It's not, you don't have to, all you need is the internets, friends. So if you were to look on this, at this passage, verse 18 literally says, and the people were seeing the voices and the torches. Now it gets translated, the people were seeing thunder and lightning, which is interesting. What does it mean to see sound? That's fascinating enough. But torches. And if you were reading this for the first time, or if you were reading it as an Israelite, you would know that this word, lapidim, torches, it doesn't show up in a lot of places. It's a very, uh, very seldom used word. And so as a person who's studying the scriptures, you begin to realize that when words are used seldomly, or they're used a lot, Sometimes there's something to a word. So one of the things you can always do is go back to when it was first used. Sometimes, and, and often, where it's first used in scripture begins to, to sort of give a trajectory for that word as the writers begin or use it later on. So that's what we'll do. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 15 where we first see lapidim, torches. And here's what happens. Genesis 12 God gives Abraham an invitation, or Abram at that point. He says, leave your house, leave your father, leave your kin, even though he brings Lot, that's another deal, and, and leave everything and come to a land I will show you, and you, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and the world will be blessed through you. I'll make a great nation out of you. This is Genesis chapter 12. So this is the promise Abram receives from God. He's going to bless him with a child, with, a, with a, 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 a son, and from that son there will be this great nation that will be born. Now, Genesis 15 rolls around, and in a couple chapters, Abram's looking around, and he's like, listen, gang, I'm not getting any younger here. And Sarai, I mean, she's old. We're both really old. And he gets, gets a little nervous about uh, if you've ever been to that place where you, 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 you trust or you believe that something is coming, that you've been promised that, and yet it's not happening. And you're, so you're trying to do something. In fact, in Genesis 16, they take matters into their own hands. Sarai gets Hagar, her maidservant, and says, okay, well, why don't you kids in the room? And so, uh, uh, but Genesis 15, Abram is just crying out to the Lord. And he shares what I think is a deep, deep fear that he will be erased, that he will be forgotten, that he will not, that his life will have not counted. Because in that day, if you don't have a son, if you don't have an heir, you die and that's it. They bury you. Sayonara. And more than that, the promise that God had given, what's up with that? So he's pouring out his heart to the Lord, and what happens is just beautiful. God comes to Abram and offers this sacrifice. And in this day and age, they would take an animal, they would cut it in half, lay it on its side, and the two members of the covenant would go through the, 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 the animal as a way to sort of say, this is real, this is solid, we're ratifying this covenant as it were. And what happens is just fascinating. The animal is split. God is there with Yahweh, with Abram. And Abram, is, it says that he's caused to have a deep sleep. So he has this dream, and he is given a vision of the next like 450 years. All of it is laid out in front of him. He sees his son. He sees his son's son, Jacob, who has the 12 sons who become Israel. He sees them going down into Egypt. He sees this great nation grow and grow and grow. And this one that all came from this promise that God had given him. He sees the whole Exodus story, God miraculously bringing the Israelites out of Egypt through Moses, out into the wilderness, and then into a land that he promised. He sees them inhabiting the land. He sees it all past, future, in the present. He's like living in eternity. 
sacred time, if you will. And what passes between the animals? A torch. Lapidim. First time it's ever used. In this beautiful moment, it's huge. Like all of it's right out in front of you. It's all there. All that will be yours in God. And a torch passes through this animal sacrifice. So then, fast forward, and you get to Exodus chapter 20. And what do the people see but a voice, or they, they see voices, and they see this torch again for the first time since Genesis chapter 15. And so let's unpack what's happening at Sinai. They are about to get the law. Now, friends, when we think about the law, we're like, oh my gosh, the law, are you kidding me? That's such a drag, all these rules, 400 plus things I gotta do. No, that's not how they would have seen the law. The law was a gift. It was like the spirit of God given to them to be the people of God in the world. They would never have thought about it as drudgery or all these rules. And so they're about to get the law, which is a, 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 a key moment in the whole story as if to say, what do they see but torches? As if to say, all that God has promised you, all that God has done, and you right here, right now, it's all in front of you, and it's yours, and it's coming. And what do the people say? You know, um, we'd rather just talk to Moses, not God. Because, you know, isn't it fascinating in this epic moment that these people say we would rather not talk to God because if we do, we will die. If we take hold of that thing that is give, being given to us, it might actually ruin me. Have you ever been at a place where you were afraid to take hold of something that was in front of you because you didn't think you could live into it? Or you didn't think that you could stand up under the responsibility that would come by receiving that thing? Or maybe someone was inviting you into something and you just thought, I don't know if I can hack it. I don't know if I can cut it. And so you settle. This is the sound of settling. To quote Death Cab for Cutie. Bam! The Israelites, and, and what happens? Moses moves into the presence of God and what does the text say? The Israelites stand at a distance. I'm wondering what your life would look like if it were to play out in this scenario. What kind of life do you want? One that is just rife with the unbelievable nature of God's presence and the spirit of God and the power of God where you experience that or you just kind of like to stand back and, oh yeah, isn't that, those guys, man, woo! Wow! Man, when God showed up, I mean, when that happened to them, man, wasn't that cool! And that move from standing at a distance to moving towards this ineffable, unbelievable, powerful, beautiful, all love, all power, all beauty being. What does Paul say in the New Testament? We approach the throne of grace with confidence because of who Jesus is and what we've been invited into. And I just think that is a fascinating picture as this section opens on Sinai. Now, worship. Three questions I have for you this morning. Number one, worship. What is worship? Number two, what do you need? And number three, what do you give? What is worship? What do you need? What do you give? Here we go. Number one, what is worship? I think sometimes it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's helpful to look at 
to try to answer a question by looking at the negative of it or the, contra- the contrast of it. So what is worship not? Uh, worship is not singing. Let's start there. Worship is not singing. We talk about this all the time in church. In fact, I was just at a, a conference yesterday at this church. I love this church. I respect the, the pastor a great deal. Listen to him all the time. Uh, theologically, one of my like mentors. I, I, and even there, they're talking about prayer, and they're like, yeah, you know, sometimes we go backstage and we pray for the worship team, which is the band. If worship is not singing, then why, or if worship is something more than singing, why do we say that when we say like, hey, let's, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up the teaching here and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is not something that you critique or something that happens outside of you or something that you have opinions on. It's not something, when we make the mistake of, making or, or uh, connecting or sort of correlating our religious activities or our, our rituals or our traditions or our ceremonies for worship, we miss something. When we equate our activities and our spiritual things to worship, we are in big trouble because those things, singing, communion, studying the Bible, serving, giving of your money, any of these things, they are translational or they translate something. They're, they're a means to an end. So when I say worship is not singing, you can sing and not worship. Or you can sing and worship something other than God. You can give all of your money away in worship of something other than God. So those things that you do, they're not worship. Worship is something that's far deeper or it's the thing behind the thing. So if these things are a means to an end, then what is the end? What is worship? It's you, and it's me, and it's my heart, and it's your heart. You can sing the same song twice and once because your heart is intent on giving worth and value to God through these words, you can worship, and sing the same song and not do that activity. Does that make sense? So when we say what is worship, it's important because terminology creates theology. The words that we choose to talk about something actually inform the thing that we, we say we believe. So when we talk about worship, it's got to be bigger than singing songs on Sunday. It's got to be bigger than going to church on Sunday mornings. In fact, I would submit to you that worship is, is fundamentally the response of your life to the invitation God gives. So if you back it all the way up to Genesis 1 and you realize that in creation, God, the one who makes everything, invites you to participate in the work of creation in a particular way, one that gives worth and honor. That's what, that's what I would say uh, um, the definition of worship, if you were going to look it up, to honor or reverence as a divine being or supernatural power, to regard with great or extravagant respect. And I would add, when you ascribe definitive or ultimate worth to something or someone. So our response to God's invitation to partner with God in the work of creation, that is where worship begins. And how we do that, how we experience, how we live, or the place from which we live, determines what we worship. And some people would say, well, I don't worship, I'm not religious. And I would submit to you that we all worship something. We all ascribe worth or value to something over and above something else. That's worship. 
If you could take it out of religious language, the way in which you give worth or value to something above other things, that's what we're talking about here. So worship is this place from which we begin, and it's an assumption, it's a presupposition that we start with that says, God has invited me with my life to respond to the invitation God has given to participate in the ongoing work of creation and redemption in Jesus. So then, my singing can be worship. My driving the car can be worship. My relationships, my intimacy, my marriage, my friendships can be worship. They're a means to an end. They're transitory. They translate something. If we don't get that, I think we miss what we're being called to do or what this passage is about. So here we have Moses up on Sinai, and he's with these people, and God gives them instructions for worship. Now, we could have a long conversation about how in the world sacrificing animals is worship, a worthwhile conversation. One I don't want to have today, but if you think, oh, you pass over that one because it's too hard. No, it's a good one, and it's worthwhile, but not the focus of today. So what do you need when you get there? In this text, when they get there, what do they need to worship God? Let's look at what the text says. First, there's a prohibition, right? God says, don't make anything out of silver or gold. So that impulse that's in you to dress it up, to make it more ornamental or to make it bigger or better or louder or whatever that is, check it at the door. Don't do that. And it's, I find it fascinating that we're moving to, you know, said Catholic church down the street which isn't to say anything about Catholicism, but rather a very traditional building with lots of accoutrements that have been added to the worship experience. And you can find that in Presbyterian tradition, Lutheran tradition, Protestant tradition, Anglican. It's, it's everywhere. Why do we do that? It seems that God makes it pretty simple here. Push together an altar of earth <laughs> and then just bring what you value. And, 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 and don't do the whole gold and, and silver thing. And it's so fascinating too because anybody know what happens like six chapters down the road? Moses is up on the mountain and Aaron's like, hey, come on, we're getting bored down here. Like somebody bring some uh, pizza or whatever. Uh, let's make a golden calf. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, right? So they gather up all the gold and they make this calf and they begin to worship it. And it's like, oh my lanta, it's right there. Whatever that impulse is you, it appears that God says, I don't need it. Then he says, don't make an altar, of, uh, don't make gold, don't make silver, don't make idols or anything like that. But, but what you should do, make an altar of earth. Mitzvah Adama is the Hebrew, the actual words. Does anybody recognize anything from one of those words? Mitzvah Adama. Adama is earth. The first human is com- comes from the earth, and his name is Adam. Fascinating. God says, take the simplest thing that you have, earth and dirt and you. And that's what you start with, with worship. That's where you begin. Take what's already there. Anybody can do it. You don't need special tools. 
You don't need a degree. You don't need theological training. Just gather up some of the elemental things that I have given you. Make an altar of earth and on it, put what you value. Yourself. Bring yourself. Adam, Adama. Bring it there. That's where worship begins. You, and, and it seems like you have everything that you need. Why do we do what we do? Why do we dress it up? Why do we feel like it's got to be more kick drum if we want the spirit? It's got to be four on the floor, baby, you know? Why do we do that? I think it's because we live in a world where we assume scarcity is our reality, where there is not enough and, there, and I don't have what I need. And it seems like just very elemental in one of the most beautiful acts that a human can do, worship the God that made them, it's like just you and an altar of earth. That's all you need. So moms, dads, when your kids come inside this summer and they are filthy, don't get mad at them. They're out worshiping. They're just making altars of earth, you know? I'm just kidding. If your carpet is white, you probably want them to wash their feet before you come in. I get it. But seriously, though, do you remember when you were a little kid? I remember vividly playing for hours under this pine tree in front of 1057 Van Buren. My brothers and I, we would make tunnels with our matchbox cars, and we would just be filthy with dirt. What were we doing out there? And then verse 25 comes along, and it's just fascinating. It's, it's like grace on a, on a platter. God's like, listen, I know who you are, and when you make the stones, when you try to like build it up and add to it, just, just get stones together. Don't touch them. Don't carve them. Just move them together, because I know what you're going to do, and I know who you are, and when you do it, just do it this way. It's like he preempts it. I know it's coming. So when you do that, just don't add to it. Just get a bunch of rocks together and put them in a pile. So what is worship? What do you need? And what do you give? In this passage, it appears that you bring sacrifices, right? You bring peace offerings. You bring burnt offerings, sheep, goats, cattle. And you might be seeing where this is all headed today, and you might be wondering, are we, like, doing live animals today? No, we're not. We're not. Just the dirt today. But this... Does God need these things? This is a fascinating question, and I love, I think this one needs to be thought through. We talk about like the, the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, and again, we could spend a lot of time talking about this, but I'll just start with this qu- one question today. Does God need these things? They're supposed to bring bulls and goats and all these things, but does God need blood? I'm just going to read a couple of passages from Psalm chapter 50. In Isaiah chapter 1, and I want you to listen with that question in mind. Does God need these things? Verse 7 of Psalm 50 says, Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I, will bring, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? 
Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Now look at verse Isaiah chapter 1. God says this in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams, fatted calves, animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And you could go on, Hosea chapter 6, Amos chapter 5. They all say the same thing. Does God need? It appears, just by reading the text, that God is not in need of the sacrifices. So there's something else happening here. But what does God want? Psalm 51 verse 17 says, David says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise. So as we close this morning and we think about worship and what it is, it seems to me, at least in this text, that it is very, very simple. Take an altar of earth and put what's of value on it and connect it to the one who gave it to you. All the other stuff, you don't need it. You don't have to have it. You and a pile of dirt. That's it. If worship is what we ascribe worth to, if it's what we value, it's as simple as pushing some dirt together and offering our life in service and partnership to God and what God is doing in the world. That's it. And when we do that, from that place, with that lens, then everything you do can be in worship. Everything, everything. Your money, your play, your singing, your study, your friendships, your, all of it is fair game to be from a place of worship where we push together an altar of earth, just the simple things, and we say, this is a value and I connect it to the one who gave it to me. Thank you. It's a response. It's not something that we do out here, but it begins right here. And so this morning, I want to invite you to participate in something together. As you see behind me, there is, well, an altar of earth. That first hour has started, and that second hour will complete. And I want to invite you, uh, I'll invite the band to come, and you guys can take your spots here as I kind of intro this but there's cups of dirt on your table. And I want to invite you to actually do something. They say that we forget like 70% of the things that we don't connect to some activity or to some response or talking about. So I want you to actually do something this morning. I'll invite you to, you don't have to, but I want to invite you as John Mark leads in in this song to ask the Lord if there is anything in your life that you have misappropriated, that you are not connecting to the God who gave it to you as a gift, where it's, it's you're, you're, you're trying to get life from something else or ascribing worth to something else that maybe you shouldn't be or that should be connected to God. And if there's something maybe that God is impressing on your heart, as you come and you pour your little piece of this altar of earth, just know that that's connected And know that you are one person, but we together are a community of people who come and we take 
the dirt that's in front of us and we push it together and we take the things that, val- that are value, of value to us and we connect them to the God who gives them to us as a gift. And in doing so, we worship and our lives become a response to the God who gives it as a gift. So let me offer a word of prayer and then just at your leisure as you want to come and add to your to this altar of earth and uh, there's wipes up here if you want to or you can just you know take the dirt home with you. Pray with me. God, here we are and here you are. As we think about worship and we think about what it's what it is, what we need, what you require of us, it seems that it's pretty simple. An altar of earth, the most elemental, basic thing, what is underfoot, what we take for granted every day, to just push some dirt together to make an altar, a place where a sacrifice can be given, and we bring what's of value to us, and we give it back to you. And we say thank you. And so, God, today, if there's something in our lives that we're holding on to, that we're trying to get life from, that maybe we are misappropriating, would you gently just show us what that is? As we come and we place our portion, would you just remind us that it's pretty simple? It's Jesus, it's faith. It's following and it's worship. It's connecting all of this back to you who's given it to us. And so just stir our hearts, work in us today as we come and offer what we have as people, but as a community. We build this altar of earth for you to give back the things that you've given to us as a way to say we love you and we're grateful and our hearts are filled so we come. My friends, can I offer a blessing on behalf of our community? If you would, if you're comfortable, uh, maybe just imagine whatever it is that you brought today in your hand. And so God, here we are, and here you are, and we offer these things, which this dirt represents. And we, we want to be reminded that following you, worshiping you, in the end, it's, it's simple. What you ask is for us to give ourselves back to you in response and in service to what you're doing in the world. And so as individuals, we do that. As a community, we do that. Say, may awaken always be a place where we remember that it's it's about Jesus and it's about your love and it's about grace and it's about us pursuing you, messed up, flawed as we are, growing and changing and becoming more like you. So may it be true. May it be true of us. All God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace. online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter 
Play with the community. See you next time.